Hi there, and welcome to the Pacific Wayfinder. I'm Ben Bahane. This podcast explores the whole range of security issues faced by Pacific Island countries and is brought to you by the Pacific Security College. So what is security and how does that relate to you in the Pacific? Is it being able to safely get to your local market? Is it having good shelter during cyclone season? What questions do you have for leaders that might lead to making you and your communities feel safer? In this series, we're going to try and answer some of those questions. We're looking at a whole bunch of issues from defense and geopolitics to a new emphasis on human security, things like climate change, gender and health. For the last 25 years, I've lived and worked across the Pacific region as a photojournalist and TV producer. I've covered the wars and natural disasters, seen the fault lines and the beauty of our vast blue continent. Living in Vanuatu, I've spent many a night around the Carver Bowl sharing stories. I'm probably biased, but I think Vanuatu has the best carver in the world. In the Pacific Wayfinder, we're going to be led by Pacific voices. We'll be hearing not just from big men and security boffins, but also the ordinary folk who ground us in everyday realities. Throughout this series, we'll be guided by a question. How can Pacific communities stay safe and build resilience in the face of multiple challenges? Everyone in our region has a stake in this, especially as the Pacific region once again becomes globally strategic. We need to look with clear eyes and bring diversity to policy making. Pull it out from behind closed doors and do it for ourselves. So join us under the banyan tree where everyone speaks and consensus is built. Let's work this out for ourselves as Pacific Islanders and be the next generation of wayfinders. In this first episode, we're meeting the team. Dr. Henry Ivaraturé, Senior Lecturer for the College from his home in Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea. And Professor Meg Keane, she's the Director for the Pacific Security College based in Canberra. My journey uh, is one that started long ago uh, to be involved in the Pacific. I came from Canada to Australia to do a doctorate in environmental management. And my first job was in development studies uh, at the ANU. And we had an environmental management and development program and worked across the Asia Pacific. And we had an invitation to attend SPREP, the Pacific Regional Environment Program's annual meeting in Tonga. And my director turned to me and said, Meg, I think that's yours. It's all about environment and people. That's your passion. So off I went to my first trip and was absolutely mesmerized by the Pacific, its inclusiveness. I was a young academic. I was treated very equally. The issues were the issues that I was passionate about, community, environmental management, livelihoods, oceans. And it went from there. I then did some work and teaching at USP and workshops and slowly focused most of my research on the Pacific. Uh, So from the ANU, I worked for Environment Australia in the Oceania branch. 
working a, a lot in Papua New Guinea, Henry's tromping grounds there on the mines and the forests and World Heritage areas. Uh, then came back to university for a time and then went over to the Australian government working on environmental and security issues, focused again on Oceania and the Pacific. Uh, came back to university, had a stint at Ramsey, working on security issues at Ramsey and the peace building process. Uh, back again to the ANU and working on issues to do with oceans, governments, urbanization, security in the broad sense of human security. And as we'll talk about, this job came up and it sort of encompassed all the work I've ever done from human environmental to more traditional forms of security. So it's a passion project that uh, was a wonderful opportunity uh, nearing the end of my career to pull things together and to be in the place I love. And how does uh, living in Canberra compared to being back home in Canada? <laughs> Well, that changes because when I first came to Canberra, I thought I'd come to the tropics. The thought of wearing a shirt only in the middle of the day to me coming from Canada uh, in the middle of the winter in Canberra seemed impossible. I have to say, since I lived in Solomon Islands uh, working for Ramsey, everything in Canberra feels cold at the moment. <laughs> and even I used to swim in the middle of the winter um, in Australia, thinking the water was fantastic. In Solomon Islands, of course, the water's like a bathtub. So now my boys, uh, my children laugh at me. I put my foot in the ocean at the coast of Australia and it's always too cold to go in. <laughs> So life changes depending on where you've lived. <laughs> I was going to say, you might be the only person in the world that thought Canberra was tropical. <laughs> All right, now, Henry, you're in Port Moresby. How did you come to be involved with the Pacific Security College? Well, I went to work for the Pacific Islands Forum Secretariat in, 2000 and, uh, in 2006. I arrived just before the coup and the Bainu Maraba took took place and I lived through that period and uh, traveled the Pacific. I literally went to all the Pacific Island countries except for uh, Kiribati and uh, uh, French Polynesia. So that's how I really came to know the Pacific. Uh, the work, the study in Tonga, uh, study in Tonga society, because I'm a Melanesian, Person. And here is a Melanesian guy going traveling into a Polynesian state, studying Polynesian society, culture, way of life, etc. That has that came in really handy when I was working at the forum because it gave me this perspective to understand Polynesian perspectives and my Melanesian background to you know work across these different two cultural groupings, Polynesians and Melanesians. So that, that, that gave me this really nice uh, background to come into the, to the Pacific Security College. But before that, I worked for also for International Institute for Democracy and Electoral Assistance uh, and was based in Canberra for about four and a half years. And I worked in the Pacific observing elections, analyzing elections, democracy, constitutional issues, et cetera. Uh, and then I... You know, when you work overseas for a very long time, you lose your connections to your country and the networks. And I was beginning to discover that my networks were falling off and I couldn't utilize those. And so when my contract came to an end, I took up an appointment with uh, a contracting firm 
for DFAT. And I moved back to PNG, where I worked on um, developing leader, public sector leadership, development training, etc., helping build the institutional capacity of a training institute that is mandated by the PNG government to train public sector and public servants uh, to go into the public sector. So that's where I worked last before I came on to this job, uh, uh, which I think uh, brings me all this richness in experience to uh, come into a role which I am really enjoying very much. That's great, Henry. And, and where in PNG did you grow up? I grew up in Port Moresby. I am originally from the Gulf of Papua New Guinea, where former Prime Minister Semekere Morauta and uh, former Deputy Prime Minister Chris Haibeta are from. But I migrated as, you know, the migration history of Papua New Guineans in PNG. I migrated everywhere in the Pacific. We moved. My, my father got a job with the public service in Port Moresby. And we moved to Port Moresby. I actually grew up in a squatter settlement. That's my first early years was growing up in a squatter settlement just right next to the government house. It's a place called Ranuguri. And that's where my early life was. And then I I have lived in, here in, in PNG, uh, Port Moresby, since. So I consider myself from Port Moresby. Um, I haven't been back to my village for almost 30 years. So. Um, to go back there one day. You must miss the village. And um, I'm going to come back to you, Meg, as director of the Pacific Security College. Can you give us a bit of an outline of what you see the mission of the, the PSC as being for the Pacific? Sure. Um, I should say we're almost a year old, so we're probably the youngest of the educational institutes in the entire region. So we're still evolving our place. But in a nutshell, what we're trying to achieve is to advance national and regional security in the in the region uh, in the region, uh, and to deal with the more pressing security challenges. The issue for us is we always have to be clear about what security is when we're talking about the Australia Pacific Security College. The college is, takes its start from the Boy Declaration, the 2018 Pacific Island Forum Leaders Declaration, and its commitment to an expanded security agenda, which is inclusive of climate change security, human security, which of course has come to the fore at the moment with COVID and uh, the health challenges. Uh, also resource and environmental security, and then, of course, the more traditional forms of security, such as border security, which people are concerned about, and transnational crime. So the college is very much about that broad sweep, and the way we hone in on what we actually do is through fairly intensive consultations we've been doing all around the region about what are the priorities of Pacific Island governments. And that has come pretty firmly in the area of human security, which we, we might come back to. The idea of the college is to work in collaboration and cooperation with Pacific Island countries. All our projects are done with a Pacific Island counterpart. So that means with a Pacific Island government, an NGO, uh, a multilateral agency like Red Cross or UN Women. So that's important to us in order to get our context right, the, what Henry was talking about, keep our connections strong. 
but also for continuity when we're not there. So the college is funded by the Australian government. Its home is at the Australian National University. But the vast majority of what we do when it's not COVID-19 times is out in the region, uh, working in countries to, to advance national, regional security. And we, we do that basically through three key uh, approaches. One is education and convening of agencies and players around security issues. So that's about brokering knowledge, building capacity. We also are working in cooperation and collaboration with governments to develop and implement national security strategies, whether that's health security, border security, or gender issues. So we're brokering knowledge, we're working with island countries to, to disseminate that knowledge across agencies. We're working on these national security strategies. And the final way we're moving forward is through networking networks and creating networks of professionals, uh, change agents and government officers, middle to upper level, to make sure that they're communicating not only within their sector, police, defense, immigration, health, but also across sectors. Henry, how do you see the Pacific Security College assisting the Pacific community around these issues? I think uh, the key area where we are coming through, one of the key areas, which is the development of national security strategies, is to help them to package this into a, a body of work that they can focus on and target the areas that are priority to them. And that is a, that, that, that is a, a big area of work that then the security college uh, can is contributing to, uh, and as we pick up the momentum, um, we can be able to develop or help Pacific Island states that are yet to develop their security strategies to come up with the strategies, which individually contribute to a collective effort in making sure that the region is safe and secure. And I think this work that we are doing uh, in supporting the Boyd Declaration is in this regard is very important. And it's a good work that we are we are doing. In terms of networking, the, the way I sit here in, in in PNG is to be able to get that through networking to get the discourse going, the discussion underway amongst key players uh, in the security sector, but also uh, getting getting the discussion going amongst uh, the public in general to understand the issues that are affecting them. Say, for instance. How does COVID uh, impact on their health and security? And those conversations uh, through the work that PSC will be doing will start, I hope, to bring out the discussion uh, at the countries that we are working in. But um, the, the strategy that we have, the way we approach it, is to let the countries take the leadership uh, and for them to drive it. And we come behind with the technical support to help nudge it forward. How, how do you think the conversation around security has changed and evolved over the decades? As we look at the evolution of these security declarations, it's people and environments that are coming 
more and more strongly to the fore. And the Boy Declaration does say that the first, the biggest challenge facing the Pacific is climate change. And if we go to the Samoa pathway, we're talking about sustainable development and, and people at the centre, both their livelihoods, their environments, uh, and their identity and their culture are a big part of it. So we're seeing this shift and a resetting of the security agenda to better reflect the priorities of uh, the Pacific. And the very strong emphasis, including by the current Secretary General, Dame Meg, on the importance of collaboration and cooperation, whether that's across nations, across the region, across sectors, uh, and indeed even that coordination and collaboration with donor bodies as well. Uh, but putting that Pacific perspective right at the forefront. And so that's, I think, where you really see the, the change occurring throughout these declarations. It's also a movement that's occurring internationally in the defining of what is sustainable development and the goals that have come out. And we started with the Millennium Development Goals and there were seven of them. Now we're up to about 17 of the sustainable development goals. But behind that is that, that desire to take account of a broader range of issues that give us security, give us development, give us prosperity, whether that's our resources, the fisheries, the agricultural systems, uh, the livelihoods, both formal and informal, the cities that, particularly in the Pacific, are growing immensely rapidly and if not managed well, can add to social instability, uh, but managed well can give us economic prosperity and stability. So it's just broadening to, I guess, more of a systems perspective of how we deal with these issues and trying to break down some of those silos and to set an agenda that fits with place. Having said that, it's not to downplay the need for rules and order in order that people's personal security is protected. Uh, so there is a role to be played that, you know, we started with Haniara Declaration and others that was about law and order. People still want that. They, they still want security in their personal lives. But security to all of us is much more than just the rules. It's about our identity, our environments and uh, our prosperity and our ability to provide for families. Henry, you know, in, in future podcasts, we're going to break down a lot of these security issues sort of sector by sector. But um, perhaps you could give us your thoughts on, in, in general, what do you perceive to be the most important security issues that the Pacific faces right now? Right now, the narrative is around climate change. Um, that for the Pacific is the biggest threat to the security of many Pacific Islanders. Um, Along with the climate change, um, there is things like sea level rise, very severe cyclones taking place, weather events, droughts. That will impact on the quality of life. So that's really already a given. Um, and that's already been championed remarkably by our leaders. One issue that they, I think they have, they have taken to the international stage successfully and uh, articulated clearly and made very clear stand on what they want, how they see their region 
protected and they have set the benchmark on greenhouse emissions that they would want to see taking place because they have deep concerns about their region. You can see that the Pacific Ocean is, is huge uh, and the vulnerabilities that ocean place on them is immense for their livelihood, people's livelihood, their people's security. But one that I'm also beginning to see emerging out of is climate change uh, issue is, is, health, is a health matter, uh, which is the uh, growing, um, uh, I suppose, part of the development process, the urbanization process, the lifestyle changing, etc. And the biggest, one of the biggest threats that I'm beginning to read a lot about uh, is, uh, is non-communicable diseases. Uh, and the challenge that Pacific Islanders are facing, particularly uh, uh, in countries like Samoa, Tonga, Tobago, Kiribati, and Nauru, on trying to address uh, NCDs, because it is reported to be killing uh, up to about 70% of deaths in the Pacific. And a lot of these people are reported to be dying before the ages of age of 60 and the toll that it is having on the health system and on families is, 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 is immense. So that is potentially one that is, but also one that I see which is probably coming out from the experience with COVID-19 is the threat of pandemics uh, coming in to the region uh, and the exposure that island states uh, are open to the, those threats, potentially uh, devastating the population, etc. So those, I think, um, while climate change is the number one issue, beneath that I also see a non-communicable disease as a uh, growing public health challenge for the region, in which Pacific Island leaders have taken steps to what more needs to be done. And I think that's reflective of the consultations that we had around the region. When we talked about climate change and we were talking with some of the environment agencies, they they made it very clear that it's the human dimensions of climate change that they feel need more attention. And that's how climate change is affecting people's livelihoods, whether that's fishing uh, or agricultural production. Uh, another key issue that is interrelated, as these all are, is food security and where are we going in the Pacific with food security uh, and the ability to provide for ourselves, but also those connect that connectivity to our export markets. And the whole health crisis has really brought that to the fore. And I think we'll be seeing more about that issue. The final thing I would say, which Henry's touched upon, is when we went around talking with all the different governments in Melanesia, Polynesia, and the small island states. Interestingly, when we put the question to them, what's your primary security concern that you feel is not being dealt with adequately? Nearly without exception, they said health security. And that was prior to the measles epidemic in Samoa. It was prior to COVID. So the Pacific Island leaders had a strong sense, as Henry's raising there, that these communicable, non-communicable diseases, the illnesses brought by alcohol and drug abuse, these are all really high concern on their agenda. And they 
they had a sense already that they weren't being dealt with as well as they should be, and they would like to deal with them better, and that those issues then flow into issues that are well known in the Pacific about gender and gender-based violence. And they're often related to these strains in the system when people are having trouble providing for their families, getting livelihoods, and are affected by illnesses or by addiction. So at a time when we're all very focused on COVID and the pandemic and our lockdowns, it sounds like it's important to not forget some of these other really important security issues and health issues that play a major role in, in how Pacific communities can develop peacefully and in some sort of prosperity. Absolutely, and finding the partnerships that will make those happen. Uh, sometimes that's with government, but sometimes the government reach is under strain. It's not reaching the people who are being affected by these security issues. So we've got to look at other ways of operating, and that's with community groups, NGOs, multilaterals, whoever it takes to get uh, initiatives that can improve security across a wide spectrum of issues that's affecting the Pacific and the globe, for that matter. I mean, it's not unique, some of these issues. They're, they're felt around the world. And, and that's where we're really trying to find those the right partnerships for the issues that have been uh, pinpointed as high priorities. There is a, a concern in the region that as part of Australia's Pacific step up, a lot of its development programs or the way it's going to be involved in this Pacific step up is by placing too much emphasis on security, placing a security lens, if you like, on, on all of its development issues. Is there a danger that, that we're going to see too much securitization of policy? Is there a danger that Australia needs to wind back some of that security approach to its development assistance? And how can the PSC sort of avoid that trap, if you like? We do get that criticism. Is it part of a militarization of the Pacific? Uh, I won't speak for Australian policy, but I think if you look at the step up, all I would say is there is an attempt to get a balance between economic development, people to people relationships. I think we could do a lot better job on that, but it's there, the importance of community as well as security. And, and one has to acknowledge that the Pacific puts border security as a high priority because it goes to the security of its people. Having said that, the college is not about operational training. We don't teach police how to be police or defense officers to be defense officers, not what we do. We're much more a public policy institution. We've defined where our priorities lie and we're structuring our programs around that. So the resilient development of the Pacific or resilience and security is, is fundamentally important. We got that from our consultations. To exemplify that, we have a project on disaster preparedness and recovery, and we're partnering with the Red Cross, which was one of the first responders when uh, disaster is happening, to think about how do you get better local area-based responses? Uh, they've been particularly effective by all analysis of this combination of Cyclone Herald and COVID. So we just want to understand that and support it and strengthen it. We have a food security project uh, with leading tertiary institutions because we think that's going to be important in the Pacific. We have two projects on gender 
because that again is an issue where we bringing in cyber safety and women and girls are particularly vulnerable. We're working with UN women on that. Uh, we're working on national security strategies, which Henry's outlined, which deal with far more. They deal with traditional security, but far more than that. And frankly, we will also engage with traditional security because that's what people need. But we'll do it in a way which is about cooperation and collaboration. So the one project that we have in that area, we're working with the chiefs of police, the immigration, the customs organizations to enact their own declaration of partnership and, and think about with them how do you get better information flows, capacity building, uh, operations that span the Pacific for the security of the Pacific. So it's an issue out there, but we think the Boy Declaration was a good start at saying you need to span different kinds of security. And in the college, we're fairly careful to make sure we're balancing between the different sorts of securities in our programming. Uh, I hope in the work that the PSC does will contribute to growing this narrative and the narrative by uh, taken by Pacific Islanders with their members, Australia and New Zealand, who are the biggest contributors and actors in the region. So, you know, in the region has to function. Someone has to take leadership. And the leadership we I see, as I sit here, is coming from the forum. And we have partners that are coming in who are actually members of the forum, coming with their cooperation arrangements that will enhance this process. So I think um, for it, 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 is, it is all actually really good for the region and that the, that the reset and the step up is actually very good for the region. Uh, and, and, I, and I hope that it will remain so uh, and, and, and accelerate into the future uh, because the region is, they call it the Blue Pacific, and the Blue Pacific includes everybody. That's including Australia and New Zealand. So do you think as long as, as it's Pacific-led, that we're getting these Pacific leaders and Pacific voices leading the discussion and working with the PSC, then it's going to be a good initiative for the region? It will be a good initiative for the region. Because when, uh, particularly say, if you look at the national security strategies, that will give Pacific Island countries the opportunity to really identify what their priorities are and to take these priorities to the development partners for them to work with. So the narrative will, will through this work that we are doing to support uh, these countries develop their national security strategies, I think will in the long run shift the discussion, the conversation, and allow for a greater play of Pacific Island uh, leaders in what really is important to them in terms of the security priorities. And I hope that will drive the uh, future cooperation arrangements. So it's a small start that has already been there, but I think it's uh, re, uh, re-calibrated to, in the future, allow Pacific Island governments to now take up this narrative, which is their narrative also uh, in the region, a narrative around security. Uh, and they've been driving it already, uh, but it's uh, shaping it, focusing it, and letting their cooperation partners know what their priorities are. And that conversation will happen uh, collaboratively, but led by Pacific Islanders, because they already know what their issues are. 
So that's where I think our role at PSC is really critical in helping drive this agenda and this conversation across the Pacific. That seems like a good place to end. I'd like to thank you, Dr. Henry Ivaraturé in Papua New Guinea and Professor Meg Keane there in Canberra for a great opening discussion on security in the Pacific and the role of the Pacific Security College. You'll find our scripts, music links and more on the Pacific Wayfinder podcast page on our website, pacificsecurity.net and also on our Facebook page. The theme music is from the track Tabaran by Not Drowning Waving. Thanks to Eliora Malifa for producing this episode. And we look forward to your company next time.